This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. America is the greatest country in the world. Thank you for being here. Happy Saturday. Oh, it feels good to be back in San Diego. Glad I'm not going to Philly. Uh, we just spent the last... I love Philadelphia. I love Philadelphia. But uh, I think one week in Cleveland is enough time away from home. Uh, so we were there uh, for the entire convention. Just got back yesterday. Let's we got three hours here together, so let's go through the week. Can we do that? I can sort of we'll give you some behind the scenes stuff, and there's a lot of stuff on our Facebook page and our Twitter account, of course. Um, so we'll take you through the week, give you a little behind the scenes here and there. Let's start with day one. I thought, and I'll just come right out with it. I thought day one of the four day convention was very disappointing. Moments of greatness, don't get me wrong, but as a whole, nearly every opportunity was missed. And I remember when it was when it was going on, I was confused, and then later that night I was angry, and then the more I thought about it, I got really ticked off. And then I showed up the next day, and I was like really angry at what happened on that first day. And and here's why. Now now hang with me. I'm gonna get. We're going to go to two, three, and four as well, and then we'll get better. But day one, that's what we're chatting about now. And maybe it was because I was there, right? So maybe it was it felt different or looked different watching it on TV. Because really, it's not for the people who are there, right? There's whatever, 20,000 people in the room, but there's 20 million people watching at home. So the, the convention's really not for the people who are there. Have you ever been to an award show before? I went to the CMTs a couple of years back. They didn't even have the sound turned on for the audience. <laughs> they, they played for microphones for TV, not microphones for the arena. So maybe on TV, the whole thing looked spectacular the whole time. So maybe I'm way off, but I was there, and I thought the first day was really, really disappointing. Here's why. First thing, I had way too high of expectations. Way too high. I knew the people who were speaking. I knew that they were incredible storytellers. I knew that they had great stories to tell. So even just the first day had incredible potential. But it didn't meet it. It didn't meet it. And I'll tell you why in a second. But here, So first reason, I had too high of expectations. That's my fault. Second thing, way too long. What 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 are, what are we doing? Who, who who are we kidding here? No one's watching four and a half hours of the convention, <laughs> and the longer you drag it out, the more you lose from each person, and the more you lose from the entire theme. The whole thing gets watered down, and because it's so long, you may have a really good speech in in in, in the beginning, but no one heard it, no one saw it, and that's a waste. And then it went to the first night, especially it went like way past eleven o'clock Eastern. 
So, too long. Here's what I think they should do next year. No one asked me, by the way, but they should have speakers from 12 to 2, do a little afternoon session. And then at night, it should be from 8 to 10, max. I think it should be an hour. I think you should have the main speakers in an hour and have it be, and this is the key, an entirely produced TV show. Make it a a pre-produced, packaged event. Think the Olympics. You know when you watch the Olympics, which we will in a week, I guess, two weeks. Before every event, they'll have a, a video montage of the person who's, like of Michael Phelps, right? So Michael Phelps will be competing, and before that, they'll have a two-minute video of Michael Phelps, uh, you know, when he was 15 and he first made the Olympics, and then when he won eight Olympic gold medals and, you know, the last Olympics or two Olympics. And, and it'll be, it'll set the stage, right? It'll be, and it'll set, it'll add some emotional connection. This is why, I mean, they do these videos with like the archery team. Who cares about archery? Well, you do when you see the story of the guy who was in a car accident last year and they didn't think he'd walk again, but here he is competing in the Olympics. And you're like, oh, I'm rooting for this guy now. So tell the story a little bit and set the stage. So day one was about safety, right? Make America safe again. So before the Benghazi Benghazi guys come out, play a two-minute video about what happened in Benghazi. And again, this is for people at home. They're watching this. There was such an opportunity to tell the story of Benghazi, A, to people who maybe have never heard it before, but definitely in a way that has never been told before. So play a video that's a couple minutes long, then have the guys come out, tell a little bit of their story, then have Pat Smith come out. Pat Smith is the mom who did an incredible job. And this is not critical of the people who spoke. Please don't get me wrong. It's the people who put them in this position and they could have set them up for better. Pat Smith is the mom. So in San Diego, uh, whose son, Sean Smith was killed in Benghazi. He was the computer guy. So have her come out, talk about her son, then have Rudy Giuliani come out with everyone else still on the stage, right? And talk about, dereliction of duty and and what it means to be a leader to step up during difficult times like this then play a a video package of the navy seals doing awesome things and then marcus luttrell comes out right all these people maybe marcus luttrell gives some award or something to pat smith and, and and representing to all the gold star moms out there and then wrap it up with rick perry who who's best buds with marcus luttrell Boom, there's your first segment. 12 minutes, that's all it is. It's a TV segment, it's tight, it's produced, it's packaged, it's emotional, it's moving, it's concise, it's purposeful. I thought the first night was none of those things. Well, it was emotional at times, but again, it was so watered down because it was four and a half hours long. So what it was, instead of those things I just said, it was four and a half hours of five minute speeches. And again, each speech was fine and some were super powerful, but they could have been so much more. Let me give you another example. Second night. Was it Make America First again? Make America, I forget. I was fired up for Dana White. Dana White is the founder, CEO. I guess he just sold it. I don't know what his position is anymore of UFC sold it for $4 billion. Okay. So he came out, he spoke right in the beginning and no one was paying attention. I don't think the TV 
uh, stations even took it. So it's like it never happened. And I was watching it, and he did great. But it was like, you know, it's just a, a voice came out. Uh, speaking next, Dana White. Dana White comes out, does his thing, and then leaves. And that was it. I said, well, guys, how awesome is it that you get the founder of UFC to come here and endorse Donald Trump? He's going to speak to a huge audience. He's got a really awesome message. What the heck was that? So, again, think Olympic coverage. Here's how it should go. 8 o'clock on the dot. Every single network covers this hour-long TV show about Donald Trump and about the convention. Kicks off, again, think Olympics, with a little montage of what happened the day before. Dramatic. Uh, it's got music. It's got, it's got effects. It's got quick little clips of the people who spoke before. Oh, everyone's excited. Then video slows down, and it's like an ESPN 30 for 30 documentary. It slows down, and it shows video of the first UFC gym. And a voice tells the story of the UFC and their vision, uh, whatever, 15 years ago, and, and, and how no one saw it. No one understood the vision. States banned it. Venues banned them. And then one person stepped up because he understood it. One person heard the vision, and he was the man who made the UFC into a $4 billion company. Fastest growing sport in the world. Now, he didn't necessarily start the UFC, but he was the one man, the first man to allow UFC fights in his casino in Atlantic City, right? So then the video shows the first fight, and it shows Donald Trump ringside with Dana White, and it shows them signing the deal together. And you have this video package. It ends with with this excitement of how massive the sport is today, and then you have the lights turn on and Dana White standing at the podium, and he talks about how UFC wouldn't be possible without Donald Trump. And if you like the UFC, then you need to vote for Donald Trump because he's the man with vision that made the UFC great, and he's also going to make America great again. Boom, there's your opening segment. How powerful is that? Instead, it was, speaking next, Dana White. And that was it. And then after that, it was, I don't know, someone else. And then they took like a 10-minute break. And then <laughs> I was like, well, guys. And then Dana, Dana White, he could get up there and he says, listen, it's not just me. Trump's going to help make your business as successful as the UFC, right? So then a video cuts back in. Remember, it's a TV show. It's an hour-long infomercial. Keep it moving. Keep it captivating. Keep it purposeful. Keep the momentum. And this video starts in a garage. A garage converted into an office. And it's this little mini documentary into the life of Andy Wist. And now he started his, uh, his business in his mom's garage in 1979. And now today in Brooklyn, he has 180 employees. So show the business at its beginning because people can relate to that. We love it. It's the great American success story. Show it in its beginning and then show it thriving today. Right? Build the drama. Add the context. Then you have Andy Wist, small small businessman from Brooklyn, come out and talk about how Trump's going to help all small businessmen, just like you watching at home. So I'm not making this stuff up, but do you, do you get it? Do you see how that could would have been so much more powerful? And I got so frustrated the first day and the second day and a little bit the third day. Now it got fixed on the fourth day. I'll talk about that in a little bit. They finally took my advice. But the f- stories from the first couple of days, nearly all of them went to waste. Now they'll live online and they'll get 30,000 views. But they had a potential audience of millions. Now here's why I'm mad about it. Because I, I, I talked about this after day one. And uh, people got really mad at me. Oh, Slater, how dare you criticize the convention? It's like, I'm, I'm criticizing it because I want it to be better. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not criticizing because it's because I hate it. 
or I hate the message. I, I want the message to get to more people. And it was so exciting to have different types of speakers, not just politician after politician. Now, there were way too many politicians there, to be honest. It was when I was talking to people. I was like, who are you most excited about? And they were like, uh, you know, Chris Christie. And I'm, and I'm saying, uh, founder of UFC. Like, that's way cooler. Chris Christie, I've heard him talk a million times. He's not going to reach different people. No one cares about Chris Christie outside of the echo chamber. How are we going to get outside the echo chamber? You know, a lot of people said, uh, you know, why do we have dumb soap opera stars talking? Uh, how about because millions of people watch Young and the Restless and they know Sheila as if they're her, uh, Sheila's their best friend. Sheila was the character of one of, like one of the soap opera stars. Um, I forget her name at the top of my head. She, uh, I don't know who she is, but she's Sheila. <laughs> Everyone loves, there's a whole audience there that loves Sheila. Not speaking to me, but she's speaking to them. So you got to get outside the echo chamber. And this is why I'm so upset. The Democratic convention starts on Monday. The Democrats are master storytellers. At their convention next week, they're going to have the mother of Eric Garner, the mother of Trayvon Martin, the mother of Dontre Hamilton, the mother of Jordan Davis, the mother of Michael Brown, the mother of Hadia Pendleton, the mother of Sandra Bland. These are all the moms of black people who are killed by police officers. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, they're going to have them all come out at the same time. And it's going to be this big thing. And everyone's going to be crying. It's going to be this huge emotional event. Because they know how to tell a story. And it's going to blow at least the first couple days out of the water of the Republican convention. And that annoys the heck out of me because conservatives have a way better story to tell. And if anyone was there to tell it, it would have been Donald Trump and his team. And they blew it the first couple days. Again, Great. There were great speakers, great messages. Could have been better. one 888 Hope that makes sense. Now, I'll cut to the chase because I'm building up to the fourth day. The fourth day knocked it out of the park. Right, the fourth day was fantastic. The last act, as I call it, Peter Thiel, Tom Barrick, Ivanka, and Donald. Pff, beautiful. They had all the video vignettes. They set the stage. It was perfect. Why not do that for four days and why not make it more concise so that all the networks will cover it for one hour and it'll be off the charts every single day. And it, it would build. Like, oh my gosh, did you see the Trump show last night? Oh, it was amazing. Oh, you got to watch tomorrow. Oh, it's going to be better. And then the next day, oh, it's off the charts. Even better. And then it, there would have been twice as many people watching on the fourth day. But they just sort of moseyed up to the fourth day. and one 900 Talk about a couple of the great stories that were there. We'll do that next. Mike Slater, show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. This is Mike Slater. So I got an example of one of the stories I was told the other day that was amazing. Uh, Pat Smith. 
So here's how I know uh, <laughs> that what I just said was right. Um, <laughs> humility aside, uh, I was just right. Here's how I know when Pat Smith spoke, she's the mother of one of the uh, people who were killed in Benghazi. When she spoke, Chris Matthews was furious. Absolutely furious. Mortified that Republicans would let her tell her story up there. That means it was a good story. Um, I've heard Pat, I've talked to Pat a hundred times and you've maybe seen, you, I'm sure you've seen Pat. Megyn Kelly and, and the Blaze will often link to videos of her. She's, she's the woman who says, you know, Hillary was a liar. She's a liar. She lied to me. She's responsible for the death of my son. All that. So I've heard her a hundred times. And when I heard her speak, and I was like, oh, that's, that's, that's Pat. Pat doing Pat. But my producer, who was there in Cleveland, watched it on TV. And on TV, they kept panning the crowd. And he said, Slater, you got to watch the TV feed of this. So I went back and I watched some channel's feed of it. And every time they showed someone in the crowd bawling, bawling, tears streaming down their faces. Not just, oh, it's sad. Streaming down their faces. Person after person after person after person. And my only disappointment is that Pat Smith wasn't given a more starring role because I I don't even know what networks carried her. And that's a shame because, again, she has a story to tell and enough people, not everyone's heard it. And this was a chance to tell it. And also, if you could, if you make it concise, if you make the event into an hour, then the media can't skip anything. Right? When you make it four and a half hours, then it gives leeway to producers to decide what to take and what not to take. So definitely they were like, oh, we're not going to take this lady. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to talk about Benghazi. But if you make it an hour, maybe with a 10-minute break in the middle to give the um, TV networks something to talk about, you know, give them a little chance to debrief the first half and then get ready for the second half, they're not going to turn away from anything. But when you make it four hours, they have a chance to turn away. So Pat was somewhere in the beginning, and I don't even know if the networks took her off, took all of it. And it was so interesting to watch the media talk about what they saw compared to what I saw and what the people there saw. So example, so I was watching in the hotel room. We left early. This would have been the second night, I guess. Uh, Ben Carson. So watching Ben Carson and I said, oh, liberals are going to hate that. What he just said. And my producer said, what? I said, oh, um, what, you, what, what Ben Carson just said, like, that's going to be the story tomorrow. Sure enough, wake up tomorrow morning. Ben Carson compares Clinton to Lucifer. <laughs> it's like, no, no, he didn't. Did you hear the speech? Yeah, they heard it, but they decided not to listen. That's the key. And when you decide not to listen, when you already decide not to listen, then it doesn't matter what's said. You're going to come up with your own spin no matter what. Ben Carson compares Clinton to Lucifer. No, he didn't. But anyway, can we play 10-10 here real quick? This is uh, Chris Matthews after Pat Smith. Oh, my gosh. I'm joined right now by April Ryan of American Urban Radio and Jonathan Capehart from the White House. First of all, an overall sort of aesthetic, historic assessment. When Christie was up there with that very rough justice, I might put it, of Hillary Clinton. And he kept saying, in each case, I'm going to ask you for your verdict. It did remind me of the old swords and sandals movies with the Roman emperor going up or down <laughs> in the Colosseum. But you know what? But and I get the feeling he wanted, if they had said, 
kill her now. It was almost about bloodthirsty. It was like this stuff. And the audience, as requested, responded always with the verdict of guilty. And they said it in a blood-curdling Jeez. way. Uh, we're going to stop time. there. So, by the way, a GQ writer on Twitter wrote of Pat Smith, I don't care how many children Pat Smith lost, I would like to beat her to death. So to Chris Matthews, people saying lock her up is the same as kill her, bloodthirsty. But the GQ writer saying, I want to beat this woman to death? Oh, it's just figure speech. Slater Radio on Twitter. We'll talk about the Trump kids coming up next. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Mike Slater. Slater Gazetters. So, about a year or so ago, I said, uh, so I predicted, I said that Donald Trump would win. In, so, at first I said he'll win, and then I've been saying he's going to win in a landslide. I think I still stick by that. He'll definitely win, but um, against Hillary. And about about a year ago, a little less, maybe maybe like nine, ten months, I said, people, you know, like, oh, he's never going to win. I said, no, 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 he'll win. Uh, and so what makes you think that Ivanka, <laughs> his daughter, so his daughter's amazing. My wife has loved Ivanka for years. Yeah. She'll, 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 she's amazing. Everyone will fall in love with her. Just wait. And, and he, she's the secret weapon and he's waiting to use her and she'll be awesome. So Tuesday of the convention rolled around and Donald Trump Jr. Spoke and everyone loved him and I've never heard him before. And then Eric and Tiffany, and they were all amazing. And then Ivanka was was the last night and was off the charts. They're amazing. And I wrote on Facebook, and I'm, I'm like not really joking, that for the next three, three and a half months, however long it is, Donald Trump should do almost nothing. He should really do almost nothing and have his kids do everything. It's, it's as if Donald Trump should be a surrogate to his own campaign. Like he, he doesn't need to be the guy. And I suggested that. And someone said, oh, Slater, but you were critical. And Trump was critical of Mitt Romney for coasting near the end of his presidential campaign four years ago. This That's different. I'm not suggesting Trump coast. I'm suggesting he put a new motor on, on the uh, on the train, right? You with me? I put a new engine in. So he's not the one propelling it anymore. It's his kids because his kids are everything that He's not. So he should do nothing. Kids should do everything. Because subconsciously, and this is why it's so powerful. Now you're going to roll your eyes. You're going to say there's no way this makes a difference. But I promise you it does. Even if it's subconsciously. There's so many people out there who don't, who like Donald Trump, but don't want to like him. Or who feel like they don't have permission to like him or they're not supposed to like him. Because everyone else hates him. His kids are a reason. They're an alibi. It's a public alibi to like Donald Trump. And everyone, nearly everyone, subconsciously at least, is thinking, hmm, well, he raised great kids, so, I mean, he can't be all bad. Now, you're saying, Slater, that's not rational at all. Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying it necessarily is. It could be wildly irrational. But that's what people think. 
That's what everyone's gonna think. Well, gosh, his kids are amazing. Is he? How could how could he be Hitler if his kids are so amazing? And they're not just great; they're exceptional. So the kids are incredibly persuasive to Donald Trump. It's the beginning of a new dynasty. If if which I'm not a fan of dynasties, but I'm just saying that's the way it is. If the if the if the Trumps were Democrats, then they'd be the Kennedy family. They'd be the next Kennedys. It's like they, they've stepped out of a Ralph Lauren ad when you see them all together. It's incredible. So it's it's more influential. His kids are more influential than than anything Donald Trump could do. So what and what's Hillary gonna do? What's he gonna what's she gonna do? Oh, Donald Trump never raised his kids. He's a terrible father. That's low rent. She'll be killed for that. It might be true, but you can't say that. It's weird. Kids have a, a force field around them, a little bit of protection in the political arena. But that's usually for like if your kids are 12. But Trump's kids are in their 30s. But they still, for whatever reason, have this level of protection around them. Like, oh, you can't go after the kids. Well, yeah, but the, Ivanka's not Sasha and Malia eight years ago. I mean, she's like 30, <laughs> but still it's, it's this weird thing where you can't go after the kids. So they're going to be amazing. If you haven't heard this Frank Lutz focus group yet, hopefully this will uh, convince you. It's a couple minutes, but it's completely worth it. 10 or John, a star is born this evening. How many of you had a positive reaction, a really positive reaction to Donald Trump Jr.? I want a word or phrase. Very sincere. Charismatic. Authentic. Articulate. Genuine. Humble. How many of you thought that Donald Trump Jr. is even better than his father, Razor? I don't know if he's going to love that or hate that. What was so good about him? Explain to me. Be specific. Well, he got into the specifics of the policies that his father was advocating for. That was something I don't think we've been seeing much in this campaign. He was positive. He was authentic. The father should take lessons from the son. He didn't tear anybody down. One more. Uh, they, they learned from hard work. They but remember that this is still the son. What does the son tell you about the father? Frank, you get to my heart. And Donald Trump doesn't get to my heart. This man got right to my heart. He was down to earth. He shows that Donald Trump actually raised good kids. Mm-hmm. So he, there must be something good about him. What is that? As there a parent is. myself, I know that my children are a reflection of me. And I think he reflects well on his father. But we've never had a situation where the children are so involved in the campaign. Does that concern you? No. no, no it's, it's great. It's a great. It's so good. It shows that they have a great close-knit family and they all support each other. That's a great American thing. So who would say that this actually impacts your vote, what Donald Trump Jr. said? I'm leaning. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. Leaning. How does it impact your vote? Because he, he really changes what I think about Trump. He's, he makes what Trump... What does he change? He, he makes him sound like an actual human being. An actual human being. <laughs> what was he before? He's a character. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's a cartoon. What did it do for you? Instead of him, it brings reality to him. He could be my next door neighbor. These kids could be children that are going to school with my kids. They brought some believability to him instead of all this outrageousness. It brings warmth. Before, I think a lot of people saw him as just cold and hard and mean, and this kind of made him more like friendly. You, you just call Trump cold-hearted and <laughs> but you say that the son is not. So explain. I mean, this is a very powerful finding here. I think we've seen enough of reality TV. I think it's time where we need to see more of somebody to look up to, a role model who we can actually identify with and as is, American people. And is that young man, is Donald Trump Jr. a role model? I think he's a good start. Absolutely. He doesn't come with the baggage and the scandal that Donald Trump brings. 
He was intelligent and articulate. I really enjoyed watching him. He understands how lucky he was growing up with a privileged family and that not everybody grew up that way. He's a relatable guy. He'd reach out to anybody from all walks of life. I wish his dad would do the same. I'm really shocked here, but I want you to explain. How does his comments, what he said and how he said it, how do they, do they affect your support for Trump? There's a certain level of humility there that he exudes just coming across in person. It shows gratitude. It shows that there has been something instilled with a value system that we should look up to as American people. Frank, he's showing empathy for people. He's showing empathy for the American people. It, you can kind of see like a legitimate connection. Mm -hmm. A legitimate, explain that. A, a legitimate connection to regular people mm -hmm. that I don't think you see with but the father. But again, this is the son. I want to keep you on the son. Why does the son have an impact on your opinion of the dad? It didn't seem like he was reading from a script. Well, that's new because everybody was reading from a script. <laughs> <laughs> He's proof that, you know, nobody's as good or as bad as the media paints him. And Donald Jr. is proof that Donald Trump has some good qualities to him somewhere. Some good qualities. <laughs> Go ahead. If Donald Trump would act at home the way that he acts on television, his son wouldn't be the way that he is now. And I think that does show that, that Donald Trump isn't this way all the time. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm not sure it completely changes it for me, but it makes him less... Terrible. We can stop. Yeah, we can stop terrible. there. I think you get the idea, right? So listen to those words to describe. This was after Donald Trump Jr., obviously. Sincere, authentic, articulate, genuine, humble, warm, relatable, grateful. He's got empathy. He has a strong value system. <laughs> it's crazy. What's Hillary going to do with that? Here, here's how this works. This is why this matters. I hope I'm stressing that. I, I, I hope you get it. I, I know, again, this is most of our Trump analysis. It's not you. I'm not saying you get swayed by this, but we're talking about the 20%. Can Trump reach the 20%? You got 40% hardliners on each side. You got 40% hardline Clinton, 40% hardline Trump. It's the 20% that they're trying to battle over. And Trump's kids are a breath of fresh air. They're not ostentatious, right? They're dad. Donald Trump can appeal to that side that attracts people, the warrior alpha male part, right? And that attracts a certain amount of people, a lot of people, obviously. But also inside of us, we like people who are authentic. We like people who have humility. We like people who are sincere. Deep down, we're all attracted to that. Now, Donald Trump doesn't have those things. Tom Barrick spoke to that in the last day a little bit and told some great stories, but that's going to be tough to overcome, even a couple of good stories here and there. The kids will be able to speak to that in people because they're fresh and the American people were going to love them. They don't even know them fully yet. So I think Trump should run as a family. This is the first family that you're electing. Run as a team, run as a unit. And how interesting will it be if Donald Trump wins and he beats Hillary, stops her from becoming the first woman president, and then in 16 years, Ivanka becomes the first female president. And that's, of course, after Donald Trump Jr. becomes president. I mean, that's that's the type of thing we're talking about here. And worth noting, when Donald Trump Jr. becomes president, he'll be the third son of a president to become president himself. A little fun America fact there. one 888 Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.
Mike Slater. Slater, I just heard this. This is Donald Trump uh, yesterday talking about Ted Cruz, which we're going to talk about in the next segment. Oh, I'm sorry. Do we have that yet, brother? I'm sorry. I know it. I cut to that quick. Yeah. So um, I'm trying. So he talks about why, <laughs> why he let Cruz do this, what he did up there. Um, he knew exactly what Cruz was going to do and was like, yeah, okay, do this. Cause he knew Trump knew that that wasn't going to be done. Well, coming up in the next segment, I want to talk about what I would have suggested to Cruz, um, what I would have done if I were him. Um, so we'll do that coming up next, but here's what Cruz, excuse me, Trump said about Cruz yesterday. If you turn on television, you, ser- you turn on some of the dishonest media, you'll see that, oh, wow, this happened and that happened. What happened? You know, somebody got booed the hell out of a place by thousands and thousands of people. There wasn't one person in the room. Not one. And then they said, there may not be unity. Unity. There wasn't one person in the room who was with, including the Texas delegation. Right? Honestly, he may have ruined his political career. I feel so badly. I feel so badly. And, you know, he'll come and endorse over the next little while. He'll come and endorse because he has no choice. But I don't want his endorsement. What difference does it make? I don't want his endorsement. I have such great endorsement. I don't want his endorsement. Just, Ted, stay home, relax, enjoy yourself. (laughs) Just a couple of things. I knew his speech. They gave me a speech. I saw exactly what his speech was. Because when you go up to speak, you have to give your speech. You know, we don't want surprises, right? So they gave it. They came to me. They said... It's a boring speech, Mr. Trump. Nothing good, nothing bad. He congratulates you on the victory. And here's the speech. Well, he got up, and in the first two sentences, he added a sentence. In other words, he got up, and he added a sentence, which could have been viewed as a nasty thing in terms of what he said, because he was implying something which is wrong, but that's okay. So he took his speech, and you're bound by that speech, just like you're bound by the pledge. Right? You're bound by the pledge. So Ted Cruz took a speech that was done, was on the teleprompter, said hello, then made a statement that wasn't on the speech, and then went back to his speech. See, to me, that's dishonorable. To me, not... To the end. Yeah, I don't don't know what that last part was about. I'm, I'm reading... So, 10 minutes before Cruz went up to the podium, I got a copy of the speech. And I read it, and I wrote it on Facebook. As soon as I read it, I said... Uh, Trump people are not going to like what Ted Cruz is going to do here in a few minutes, so be prepared. I don't know what the... I'm reading the beginning of the speech. I think he went word for word, the whole thing. So I don't exactly know what, what Trump's talking about there, but... Uh, all right, so we'll talk about Ted Cruz coming up next. I'll tell you what I would have done um, and why. And I think... I th- I know exactly... Listen, I was a Cruz delegate. Okay? If Ted Cruz won the state of California's popular vote, then I was going to be a Ted Cruz delegate. So I like Ted Cruz. Um. I know exactly what he was trying to do, and I think there was another way he could have done it. So we'll talk about that next. One last point on Trump's family. This is from uh, Scott Adams, founder of Dilbert, but also uh, master persuader, student of persuasion, expert at the importance of visual persuasion and all that. He says, when you compare the entire Trump family's visual appeal to the entire Clinton family's visual imagery, it's a massacre. Would you prefer seeing Bill and Hillary Clinton decompose in front of your eyes for eight years? 
or watch the Trump family develop their dynasty. Entertainment-wise, there's no contest. Now, you're probably saying, Slater, you do this all the time. You talk about these dumb things that don't make a difference. No, no, no. There's a difference between do they make a difference or should they make a difference? They shouldn't make a difference, but they do. So we have to understand that distinction. Trump's family probably shouldn't make a difference, especially not how they look compared to how the Clinton family look. Listen, um, James Madison was five foot three, 120 pounds, father of the Constitution. He couldn't win an election today. Five foot three? He wrote the Constitution for the love of Pete. But, but should his height matter? No. Would it? Yeah, probably. So we got to understand that important that difference here. And here's the last line from Scott Adams. And people usually vote for entertainment over policy. They just don't realize it. Not you, but most people. Coming up next, if I was uh, asked to give advice to Ted Cruz, I would have given him a line from Proverbs 25. I'll tell you all about that coming up next. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater's America's the greatest country in the world. Thanks for being here. So this segment could go either way, and it's frustrating that it could go either way because it's not against. Anyway, um, you'll see. So I got a text from Debbie. Uh, a couple hours ago. I don't, I don't even get it. She wrote, you are so wrong about Cruz. I turned you off. We've only been on the show for on the air for an hour. So what could she have written two years ago or two, uh, two hours ago? Maybe, maybe it was just an hour ago though. Maybe the Twitter thing is a little off. I, you are so wrong about Cruz. I turned you off. What did I say about Cruz an hour ago? <laughs> did I even say anything about Cruz? I don't, I don't get that. It's so fascinating how people hear what they want to hear. Now, now partially, and maybe I'm just not being as clear as I need to be, but a lot of the time it's just people hearing what they want to hear. Let me talk about Ted Cruz's speech and, and what I would have done if I was in his shoes, for whatever it's worth. Okay, We would all maybe do something a little different. So I'll give you mine and I'll take it. Listen to you. I want to hear what you say too. one 888 how you would have done it differently or maybe the exact same. So here's what happened. Um, I got a copy of the speech, maybe 10 minutes before he delivered it. And I read it real quick and I said, oh, geez, this, this is going to go over like a ton of bricks. Here's the bottom line. Now a broad brush, but I say it's 98% true. And I know the 2% are going to yell at me, but the 98%. If you are a Trump fan, you probably didn't care much for Ted Cruz anyway. So what Cruz did, you hate him even more. To you, he's a liar, he's a coward, and it's the end of his political career. That's If you, if you were a Trump fan, then you think Cruz is a liar, a coward, and it's the end of his career. Okay. 
Now, if you already loved Cruz, then what he did, you love him even more. He's not a liar. He's honest. He's not a coward. He's brave. End his political career. It's going to launch his political career into new heights. <laughs> so it's, it's battle line. It's a battle line situation. Where the battle lines were already drawn, people just went to them even stronger. I think that's 98% true. Now, maybe there's some cruise people who were like, oh, that was that was dirty. And they're uh, like, I don't like that. And so, yeah, yeah it's, okay, sure, I'm sure that exists. Or there's a Trump person who was like, wow, I really admire him for doing that. Okay, so, yeah, 98% of the case, though, people just ran to their battle lines even stronger than before. Now, I don't know if this came across on TV. I want to give you a little background here first. I don't know if this came across on TV like it did in the arena. But I'm up there in the stands. And when he was introduced, roaring applause. Like, like probably more than anyone in the previous three days. And not only roaring up, you know what? It was the only person, and it may have been the only person the entire week that was given two rounds of applause in the beginning. You know, like when people applaud and then it kind of dies out and then it goes back up again. Cruz was definitely the first person to get that, if not the only person the entire week. So the crowd loved him right in the beginning. Before he said a word, they were on his side. I think Scott Walker spoke a little bit before. They didn't give Scott. I mean, that was a big round of applause for Scott Walker, but nothing like Ted Cruz. And Ted Cruz was the first speaker in the convention where everyone was paying attention. Because it's four and a half hours long, there's a lot of people moving and milling about and murmuring, and no one's really fully, or I shouldn't say no one's fully paying attention, but there was never a case until Ted Cruz when everyone was paying attention. It was the very first time that everyone stopped to listen. I thought when he walked out, he was going to get booed right away. When Mitch McConnell walked out, like <laughs> if I were him, I just would have turned around and left. Like he was booed right from the jump, not Ted Cruz. Very welcoming crowd. And pretty early in the speech, he says, everyone needs to vote in November. People went nuts. They loved it. It was great. And people were listening because they were waiting to see what kind of endorsement he would give Donald Trump. And I, I can tell you based on the on being there and, and listening to the crowd and hearing and feeling the energy of the crowd, that line, everyone needs to vote in November, completely satisfactory. To the 1,000 and whatever Trump delegates in that room, Ted Cruz saying everyone needs to vote in November was perfectly acceptable. Everyone cheered. It was great. There was almost a, a sigh of relief. That was kind of the first, I mean, he congratulated Donald Trump at the beginning. I guess this was near the end of the speech, actually. He said, everyone needs to vote in November. And it was, everyone was like, oh, okay, there it is. Okay, yeah. All right, yeah, yeah. Two lines later. He said, vote your conscience, and that's when everyone lost it. You couldn't even hear the last two paragraphs of his speech, couldn't hear a word. Now, this is my overall point. If Cruz stopped at go vote in November, everyone would have been happy. I'm telling you, at least everyone in that arena, the pro-Trump people were satisfied. And those are a thousand super rabid pro-Trump people. They were very happy. 
and go vote in November, that's enough of a wink and a nod to the crew supporters. Right? That's 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 enough of a like, hey guys. We're on the same page here, right? Uh, this isn't ideal here, but just just wait, we'll be back in four years. Right? It was it was just enough of a like, all right, I'm with you. I'm with you, Ted. I gotcha. Again, I'm a Cruz delegate. I should have said that at the beginning. I was a Ted Cruz delegate for the state of California. So I'm a Cruz guy. And I got that line. He said, go vote in November. I was like, I see what you're saying. It was perfect. Could have stopped. But he didn't. He could have stopped and he would have left everyone with good graces. And he would have distinguished himself just enough from what was going on, distanced himself just enough, and everything would have been good. But now it's a whole thing. (laughs) Now, in the end, let's not make a bigger deal of it than it is. It's fine. It doesn't really matter. If Trump is the greatest president ever, then Cruz can run in eight years. Again, he's only like 46 or something. If Trump is a terrible president, then Cruz will be back in four years. And if Trump loses in a couple months, then he'll Trump uh, Cruz will be back in four years with a big I told you so. So it's fine. He'll be fine. A lot can happen in 48 years. It's okay. But it didn't need to be done like that. So what could have been done? Who am I to say, right? But I can tell you what I could have done or what I would have done. Again, as a cruise supporter, cruise delegate. I would want um, one goal out of my speech if I was Ted Cruz. Well, maybe a couple things, but the, the big one would be I want to talk for whatever, 15 minutes. And I want to I want to get off that stage and every single person in that arena, I want them saying to themselves, gosh, we should have elected that guy. Right? You, you want people leaving the arena because that was the night that I think Donald Trump Jr. spoke, right? Or whoever. I don't know who the main speaker was, but uh, no, it was Pence. It was Pence, right? I want everyone to leave thinking, oh, man, he at least should have been the VP. Oh, we love Ted Cruz. Oh, man, we made a bad decision. Right? Don't, isn't that what you would want? And I think you could have done that while still distancing yourself from Trump and his populism. Here's one thing I think he could have done, or I would have done. Forgiveness. Oh, Slater, he shouldn't forgive Donald Trump. Whoa, 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 whoa. Forgiveness. He's got nothing to forgive. Hold on. Proverbs 25, 21. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. Why? In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And the Lord will reward you. There is no better way to get the upper hand on someone who has wronged you than to forgive them. Because that person's going to say, well, I don't even apologize. Sorry, I forgive you. Well, forgive me. I don't even apologize. I don't want to apologize. Nah, doesn't matter. I forgive you. Like that is the ultimate finger in the eye 
If you forgive someone when they don't even apologize, it's hard to do. But when doing it, you're going to heap burning coals on that person's head. So I think uh, I would have gotten up there and I would have said, Mr. Trump, you said some horrible things about my wife and my father. I forgive you. And if I ever said anything about your family that crossed the line, I apologize as well. That's powerful. It's powerful. And it gives Cruz the upper hand because Trump never apologized. That's how you pour hot coals on his head. Start with that. I'd say three things I like about Donald Trump because you can always think of three things you like about anyone. And then three things I disagree with Donald Trump. That's, I mean, that's good too. Hey, here we are at the Republican National Convention. You chose Donald Trump. Here's three things I really like about Donald Trump. And here's three things I really don't. Here's three things where we disagree a lot. Maybe if you wanted to be bold. I'd talk about something I'm worried about with Donald Trump's populism. Right? A warning to everyone there. Glenn talked about this yesterday on a show. The whole yes you can line from the audience. That's no good. So I'd get up there if I were Ted Cruz and I'd issue a clear warning. Hey, people, I understand what Trump is saying here. I understand you like it, but let's not get totally swept up in thinking that a person is our savior other than the savior. He had a chance there with the whole arena and 30 million people watching to help the Trump train get back on track where it might derail. Okay, so you apologize, you ask for forgiveness, or you, you give forgiveness, then you apologize. Say three nice things, three three areas of disagreement. Then a warning on this populist movement. A declaration that you should stick with the Constitution, not a person. Put your hopes in the Constitution, not a person. And then at the end, I'd say something like, you know, all that being said, there's not a single person in this country running for president. Worse for the Constitution and worse for the future of our of our republic than Hillary Clinton. So let's work together, send her back to Chappaqua with her husband with her husband. Boom, done. End of speech. Don't you think that would have accomplished everything he wanted? I'm listen, I'm not saying, and this goes to Debbie here, who said, I've turned you off because you were so wrong about Cruz. I'm not saying Cruz should have gotten up there and been like, Oh, Donald Trump's amazing. He's the greatest person in the world. Everything he said, I agree. No, that's selling out. That's what Bernie Sanders did to Hillary Clinton. Bernie Sanders got up there and said, all right, I was wrong. Hillary's amazing in every way. I'm not suggesting you do that. I don't I don't respect Ted Cruz because he sells out. You can still get up there and stand for your principles and stand for the country and stand for what you believe in and what this country was founded on and differentiate yourself from the nominee and not alienate every single person in the room. Don't you think he still could have accomplished everything he wanted to? I don't think that was the right way to do it. That's all. 1-888-900-3393. Looking forward to your response. What do you think of that? 1-888-900-3393. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment. On the Blaze Radio Network.
Sorry, Crusaders. I hope that all makes sense. Uh, I hope Debbie was listening too, the person who said, I turned you off because you're so wrong about Cruz. Like, I didn't even say anything about Cruz yet. She just made up. She made up what I was going to say without actually listening. So, thank you for listening. Um, and now let's chat about it. Let's go to Steven in Wisconsin. What's going on, Steven? Hi, Mike. How are you doing? My man, appreciate you calling in. What, what do you think of what Cruz did? Well, I I just think you guys, a lot of you guys get it wrong on the Cruz and the Trump thing. I was, from the very beginning, I was, and most of my friends were Trump and Cruz because they're both anti-establishment. And, you know, it seems to come across that you're either against one or the other. I think Cruz made a mistake this at the convention, but, man, I'd still vote for him in a heartbeat. He was the only one that was really a true conservative other than, you know, I felt Trump had, you know, I listening to his platform, I feel like he's all in on, uh, I mean, he's, he's phenomenal when I hear what they have to say. And I love his, I love his kids, too. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. Yeah, we chatted about that in the last segment. So what do you think about um, people saying he, he did not fulfill his oath, Ted Cruz, right? He he said he would vote for and endorse the eventual nominee, and he did not. What do you make of that? Yeah, well, that's a good point, Mike, because the person that actually started it, was it wasn't personally Cruz, but it was Cruz's pack, showed a picture of Donald's wife, and that started everything. Then he went after... Cruz's wife, and then he went after his father, and I feel like once that happened, and I hope that whole Cruz responsible, even though he's not supposed to talk those facts, he knows what's coming out of those things out of hell. They work, they work together even though they're not supposed to, and uh, I, I find it was really Cruz that was all at fault for the whole start of that thing, because in the whole beginning, those were only two guys that weren't fighting each other. Yeah. Like, yeah, they had a bromance for a while. You're right. Steven, I appreciate the call very much, sir. Thanks for listening. And so Cruz and Cruz and Trump are very different, <laughs> like wildly different, both anti-establishment. Sure. But very, very different. Um, and again, this is coming from a Cruz guy. I, I would definitely vote for uh, Cruz again. I think that was bad. I'd, I'd like to hear him. Uh, when the uh, the emotions kind of get away for uh, kind of settle, the dust settles a little bit. I think I'd like one day for him to reflect on what he did, and I think maybe I could have done a, di- a little differently. I think I'd appreciate that. I think that would be good. But um, Cruz is still going to stand for the Constitution. That's a good thing. Jason in Alaska, what's going on, Jay? Hey, thank you, sir. Thank you for taking my call. Yeah, man. Uh, I-, I wanted to talk about um, about you know him and giving his word to support you know, the nominee, whoever yeah. it might be, you know, and people harping that that might, that that's a contract, you know, that he signed it, you know, and people are calling him a liar and this and that. Now I want to talk about contracts for a second. Your very first contract that you ever made that way superseded in not only years and time, but was your contract with your wife to have and to hold her, to protect her. You know what I'm saying? That contract not only is not only a legal binding contract, but it's, it's, it's of a moral, a moral hiety from God, you know, that, that supersedes anything on this earth, I believe, anyway. But let's just go back to the legal part of it. You know, to disillusion a contract like that, you have to go before a judge also to disillusion a marriage. Now, the, within that marriage, the, which was way before the signing of this thing, was to have and to hold it, protect his family and his wife. The moment that another contract violates, violates another one, you know, because this first original contract, which not only, like I said, superseded it by years, but not only by years, but by morality. 
okay? And by him saying that, hey, I, I, I just can't do that, my very first contract that I had with my wife supersedes anything that we had going on here yeah. the moment that, she, that he stepped over those bounds. You know what I'm saying, and that's yeah. how I felt. About no, that. I think that makes sense. Alaska, or Alaska, Jason. I gotta take. A, I gotta take a hard break here, man. I appreciate the call. Um, I totally get that. I think that that makes sense. Um, I can't criticize that the line of thought. I think that's that. Uh, I have a higher allegiance to my wife than anything. Um, Jesus number one, wife number two. So I, I get it. I think he would have been better off just saying that. Get up there and say that. Literally what you just said, Jason. And if he couldn't have said that or didn't want to say that, just don't show up. You can distance yourself from, from Donald Trump in other ways and distinguish yourself in other ways than having spoken of the, at the venue, for, uh, at the convention. Yeah, I think you're right, Jason. That makes sense. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Thanks for being here, talking about Ted Cruz's speech, what he did. Um, for whatever it's worth, if I was in Ted Cruz's shoes, here's what I would have done. I'll do this in 60 seconds. Uh, Proverbs 25:21. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And the Lord will reward you. Uh, I think there's one goal that I would have had is to have everyone in that arena have buyer's remorse, leave the venue thinking, gosh, we should have voted for that guy. Darn it. What were we thinking? Right? So you got such a great speech that everyone is like, oh, man. All right. Well, in four years, we'll do it again. Or eight years. Right? And, but I'm not, or I should say, but I'm not suggesting that Trump lay down, or excuse me, Cruz lay down at the altar of Trump. And say, oh, I agree with everything he says. No, 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 you don't have to do that. You can still differentiate yourself. So on the Proverbs 25, I would have gotten up there and I would have said, Mr. Trump, you said some pretty bad things about my family. I forgive you. Man, that would have been burning coals on his head. That would have he, he, just pouring burning coals on it because he would have been like, well, I never asked for forgiveness. doesn't matter. I forgive you. And if I ever said anything about your family, I apologize as well. Oh, that makes someone furious. Someone who hasn't apologized, if you forgive them right off the bat, oh man, gosh, they get angry at that. Then I would have said three things I agree with Trump, three things I disagree. And then I would have given a warning to the populist movement, right? Like Glenn Beck did yesterday on the show and has been doing for a long time. But Glenn criticized the people in the audience saying, yes, you can. It's not a great chant. So if I was Cruz, I would have said, hey, people, watch out for this populism thing. All right, stick with the Constitution. That's the answer. That's it. And then let's make sure Hillary doesn't win. Perfect. That's what I would have done. I don't know. Maybe I would have gotten booed, too. Uh, Mark in Washington. Mark, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Appreciate you being here. Thanks for uh, calling in. Uh, I, I agree with uh, all you're saying, and, and I've thought that as well, that uh, you need to forgive even if somebody doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't ask for forgiveness. I've been divorced, so I know how that is. Um, 
But but the thing that I was a Trump or I mean a Cruz supporter pretty much all through until until, you know, Trump got enough delegates. And then I I decided I'm going to support whoever whoever wins. And the thing that really bothers me most about what Cruz did was he was willing to sacrifice, in my opinion, possible control of the Supreme Court for decades for his own personal gain. And I didn't appreciate that at all. Uh, What a good point. I was on Lou Dobbs on Fox Business that like a couple, like an hour before a speech, and they they talked about Cruz or whatever. And I said, yeah, if I was Cruz, I would, even if there's a 1% chance that Trump nominates you to the Supreme Court, that's an infinite right. higher chance than Hillary Clinton nominating Ted Cruz to the Supreme Court. Yeah, exactly. And now it's, now Hillary probably has a better chance of nominating Cruz to the Supreme Court than Trump at yeah. this point. Um, right. You're right. He disqualified himself from that position. Yeah, really good well, I point. Mean, I mean, not just him being on there, but he's actually, if Hillary does win because he didn't endorse Trump, he, he, she may be able to stack the Supreme Court, where even if he's president in four or eight years, he's going to have a Supreme Court that's hostile to him. You're right. He wasn't playing the long game like that. Yeah, Mark, really right. thoughtful, man. Appreciate that call. Right. Thank you. Yeah, really, really, really good point. And I don't know what the chances were of Trump nominating Cruz to the Supreme Court. I would have liked to think it was pretty good. Maybe Cruz doesn't really want that job. I don't know. Um. But forget it now. <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess I'm of the school of thought. Hmm. Should I criticize my boss? Hmm. I don't want to. That's not wise, is it? I'm of the school of thought that there's times when you move how do I wear this? There's times to move away and there's times to move in. And I think it would have been better for Cruz to move move towards the Trump train to try and make it better. And I know I made this argument months ago when Trump won the election, but Let's say Trump wins, which I think he will. And Cruz could have been a Supreme Court nominee. That would have been a great thing. That would have been a, a wonderful thing out of the Trump presidency. So maybe there'll be all these terrible things that come out of it, if you believe there will be. But at least this would have been one really good thing. And we can hang our hat on that. But Cruz just took that off the table. I, I think it's the same approach that Ben Carson is taking. There's no way Ben Carson really likes Donald Trump and really respects Donald Trump as an honest, decent man, right? There's just no way. But why Why is he endorsing him? To stay close. Right? Stay close to be there, to be a light, so that when the opportunity comes up, Ben Carson can step up and say, ah, oh, Mr. Trump, I don't think that's the right way to do that. You can't do that if you're not there. So Ted Cruz is now doing that from the outside. Wouldn't it have been better to be a dissenter from the inside? And there's a way to do that. There's a way to get in the circle, if you will, and and not be a, a, a sycophant, right? And not not kiss his butt all the time, but to but to be there, and be a light and be an influence, and support the good things and to dissent against the bad things when appropriate. And I think that's way way better than I don't know running far away and just being critical all the time. 
I don't know. I don't know. I, I would love to, and I hope I can soon, talk to Glenn about his approach to uh, this election. And obviously, he's super anti-Trump. And I get all of his concerns. I get them all, totally. Absolutely. But now he's an outsider. Glenn, when it, when it comes to the Trump supporters, right? Gosh, so I, I, I go to his Facebook page, Glenn's, and there's so many people who say, I'm never listening to you again. I hate you. I used to listen to you, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, I get that all the time too. And, and most of those people still listen, but I don't know why decrease your influence. I think you can still spread a message without alienating people and pushing them away. Right? I don't know. One eight hundred seven, or excuse me, one eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Mark, thanks for that call, Mark. I think that's interesting because now he's he's uh, DOA on anything else moving forward in the Trump presidency. Even if it was just a bill, right? Even if Ted Cruz want, proposes a really great bill and it makes it through, I don't know. Now you just created an opportunity for Trump to be like, ah, I'm not signing that bill. It's a Ted Cruz bill. Why do that? Why? What's what? What do you what do you get out of that? Well, while I'm, while I'm being critical of Trump, kind of, let me um, let me let me continue on this train of thought. There were two things that I did not like about Trump's speech. I actually thought Trump's speech was really good. Now I'll put a disclaimer on that. I was there, and I could have gotten swept up in the whole thing. A lot of energy in the room, a lot of excitement, beautiful. Um, Ivanka's amazing. I loved Peter Thiel's speech. Holy cow, I thought Peter Thiel's speech was off the charts. I thought Tom Barrett did a great job. He's a longtime friend. Loved the two stories, the two personal stories he shared about Donald Trump. I thought those were really good. Again, Ivanka's amazing. And then Trump, it was uh, it was just like a big event. And I was there, and I could have gotten emotionally swept up in it. So that's the disclaimer. I liked a lot of it. Two things that no good. No, no, no good. One, um, quote, I'm going to bring our jobs back to Ohio. And he listed a bunch of other states, but the prepared remarks just at Ohio and to America. And I'm not going to let companies move to other countries, firing their employees along the way without consequences. I don't know what that means. I won't let companies move to other countries. What does that mean? So here's what here again. Let's go back to Cruz. Cruz is smart. Trump said stuff like this before. So when I suggested that Cruz say three things he agrees with uh, Trump on and three things he likes about Donald Trump and then three things he disagrees on, this would have been a great disagreement. This would have been perfect because Trump's talked about this a lot, about punishing companies for leaving or whatever. One of my disagreements with Trump, if I was Cruz, I would have got up there and I said, Donald Trump has talked a lot about not letting country uh, companies move to other countries or punishing them for moving. I got to disagree with the Donald on this one. I don't think that's the right way of going about it. What I would do and what I would suggest to the next president is don't punish companies for moving, but make America so great again that no company would even think about leaving. And the people, everyone would share that. I got a tweet here from Sandy. She says, Avid Trump supporters would have reacted badly to Cruz bringing up any area of disagreement. Yeah, 
maybe, but there's nice ways to do that, right? Like what I just did right there. I don't think any Trump supporters would boo that. But Tr- Cruz should have, could have preempted Trump's speech. He, he, know, he knew what Trump was going to say pretty much, right? He can make a pretty good prediction that he was going to bring up something like that. Something like, I won't let companies move to other countries without consequences. Whoa, what the heck does that mean? So Cruz could have brought that point up, preempted it, and maybe Trump won't, maybe wouldn't even have said it the next day. Because we all know, listening here, we all know that it's, you don't punish companies for leaving. Like, that doesn't make any sense. But you make it so that they never want to leave in the first place. Everyone knows that's right. So that's number one. And gosh, here, my other criticism of the speech is something else Cruz could have seen coming. Uh, this line is no good from Trump. I have a message for all of you. The crime and violence that today afflicts our nation will soon come to an end. Beginning on January 20th, 2017, safety will be restored. I heard that and I was like, mm, that's very similar to Barack Obama saying, you know, now that I'm elected, sea levels are going to fall. <laughs> it's like, eh, just because you're elected doesn't mean good things automatically happen like that. So if I was Cruz... I would, this would have been part of my warning to the to the populist movement. I would say, people, be careful in trying to find a savior. Just because you vote for one person doesn't mean that everything is going to be automatically great again. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done, a lot of work in D.C., a lot of work in your state government, a lot of work in your local government, your school boards, and a lot of work in our communities and our families. So let's not pretend, let's not think, let's not be like the left in thinking that we can just put someone in office and then everything's amazing. It doesn't work like that. Let's make sure we still play our part as well. Well, there you go. That's great. And then that came up the top of my head, right? That's simple, isn't it? Right. That's a warning to everyone. And again, that may have preempted Trump from saying something goofy, like on January 20th, safety will be restored. What? One eight eight nine hundred. 33, 93. We have time to take a few more calls if you want. Coming up next, Slater Radio on Twitter. 1-888-900-3393. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. generation of talk radio this is mike slater it's later because it was pretty interesting to watch the media try to come up with things to say about trump's speech and at first they went with they had nothing right they had nothing to criticize so they went to the old standby the oldest standby in the book right if you got nothing else to say and this is true for anytime you hear someone make this argument most mostly anytime it means they have nothing else to say the number one criticism right off the bat was there weren't enough specifics. Now, there weren't a lot of specifics, but two nights ago was not the time for specifics. He's not going to go through a PowerPoint presentation up there. Now, I am critical of Trump for often not having specifics, but not two nights, not that the convention speech. Right? What do you want him to do? The convention speech is a time to lay out vision and principles and priorities. And the left knows that. Specifics. Um, so that's when you have nothing else to complain about. But then they came together by the next morning and came down with dark, 
It was a dark speech. It was a vengeful speech. It was an angry speech. Um, I read this one here. Where is this? Bum, bum, bum. It's Huffington Post. Oh, so they did their, their fact checked. Right. One of the fact checks was, um, you know, Trump said that America is one of the highest tax nations in the world. And then they come up with some ranking where it's not. Whatever. Right. It's like, okay, great fact check there, guys. And then the other criticism was he kept calling himself the law and order president. Oh, by the way, we are one of the highest tax countries in the world. I mean, we're not the highest, but we're one of the highest and higher than uh, we should be. That's the point. And that's all that matters. But also he said, we're going to be, I'm going to be the law and order president. And people on the left are saying crime's at an all time low. And it is, but tell that to the people of Chicago and the people of Baltimore. I think we can acknowledge that certain crime rates are low, but we can always do better. And I think the Democrats are going to have a tough time in the next couple uh, this next week talking about how great things are and how everything's gumdrops and rainbows. And that's going to be weird sounding to a lot of people because things are not great or perfect. They can most certainly be better. One last point. I got 30 seconds. Uh, there are two times, one when Trump did it and one Ivanka, where they invaded democratic territory that the left thinks they have exclusive right to and they hated it when trump said ferguson and how kids in ferguson have as much of a right to live out their dreams as any other child that made the left's head explode and then when ivanka talked about child care the left freaked out because that's their thing no no conservatives need to go in put a flag in those areas and reclaim them because we have the true answers mike slater showed the blaze radio network spread the word You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. America's the greatest country in the world. Thanks for being here. Uh, I think that's enough convention, dog. <laughs> I just saw a video of Tim Kaine, Hillary's new VP. Um, I don't know when this was. I can't take. I can, it looks relatively recently. I'm sure. I'm sure we'll know soon. And he says, "I can't take classified material and give it to someone." Without consequences. <laughs> and now he's the vice presidential running mate of the person who did that exact same thing. So I guess he's happy that there were no consequences for her. Otherwise, he wouldn't have this this new gig. Um, can we talk about something not political related here? I, I think it's important. And I wonder if there's anyone in Minnesota listening now who can give us some more insight. We talked about this story last two weeks ago on my local show because it has a San Diego connection. But really, it's a Minnesota story. It's an American story. But uh, Minnesota is the main tie. So back it up for a second. So we've been saying this a lot lately. The biggest bias in the media is not what's said. It's what's not said. It's the stories that they leave out. For instance, this Tim Kaine saying, you know, Hillary Clinton, you can't give classified information to someone who doesn't have that, uh, the right to see that without consequences. Like that won't be shown over and over and over and over and over again. I guarantee you if Mike Pence said something like, Donald Trump's an idiot. He, that would be over and over and over and over and over. 
but that won't be true. So, so it's what's not said. It's what's left out. That's the biggest bias. That was like a week or so ago. Just one quick example. It was like a week or so ago. There was, uh, I think it was in South Carolina, when a 32-year-old man took out a gun that he owned illegally and started firing into a crowd. He hit three people before another man took out his gun that he had a concealed carry permit to carry and fired back, hit him in the leg, and the guy dropped the gun. So headline, mass shooting from legal gun owner stopped shooting of illegal gun owner. Or right, right now, mass shooting from illegal gun owner stopped by legal gun owner. There it is. You with me. It just happened just the other day. Did you ever hear about that? Of course not. Doesn't fit the narrative, so they just pretend like it never happened. That's the biggest bias. It's important to know that. This story fits in that category as well. This is inexcusable to not tell. June 2nd, so a month and a half ago, a jury in Minnesota gave a guilty verdict to three Somali Americans, they were born here, three Somali Americans, guilty of providing material support to ISIS and conspiracy to commit murders overseas by traveling to Syria to fight for ISIS. Ten males were charged. Seven pleaded guilty. These were the last three. So when I say three men were sentenced, really it's ten. Ten men. Here in America, sentenced to prison for wanting to go join ISIS. Did you hear anything about this? The plan was to drive from Minnesota to San Diego, get fake passports here, then drive across the border uh, to Mexico, and then fly to Syria. That was the game plan. So in the trial, it actually showed the sting when they got down here to San Diego. Oh, so I should say a couple uh, weeks or months before they... Uh, had someone mic'd up and got all their conversations, which we'll talk about in a second. So they made it to San Diego. They met in a warehouse, FBI agents, um, who they thought was going to give them fake passports. And they talked about you know, what they were doing and where they were going. And they said, man, great doing business with you guys. Do you think once we get back from fighting in Syria, uh, we can send some other people to you and you can help them get passports so we can have more people come? Whatever, right? They were having this whole, whole conversation. And then the FBI throws in some flashbangs. They arrest them. And that's how they got the 10 of them. So the man, a man who was there the whole time during the whole trial wrote an article about it in City Journal. Uh, let me quote a little bit here. In hours of recordings, the defendants expressed their desire to join ISIS, their regret over the failure of their previous efforts to make it out of the United States, their commitment to wage jihad against non-believers, and their ardent wish to die as martyrs. They expressed their contempt for the United States. They thrilled to the videos of ISIS butchery in the name of Allah. And they talked excitedly about their communications with friends who had made it to join ISIS in Syria. Which means there are people from Minnesota who have made it to Syria to join ISIS. Anyone, any discussion of this at all? As these three approached their rendezvous with, rendezvous with the FBI in San Diego... One of them expressed what seemed to be a common feeling among them. Quote, I can't believe I'm driving out of the land of the Kufar, the unbeliever. I'm going to spit on America at the border crossing. May Allah's curse be upon them. Us. The country he was born in. The government was hoping to keep the surveillance going until they learned who had recruited them. But they may have recruited themselves. The defendants needed no more prodding. 
than that contained in ISIS's online promotional videos. Quick pause here. So I was talking to this lawyer guy who heard the whole thing, watched the whole trial. And I said, what was your number one takeaway? And his number one takeaway was the thin line is his words. And he's not some right wing hack. He's a lawyer in Minnesota who's just captivated by the story. He said, my number, number one takeaway was the thin line between Islam and Islamism in his words. So just being a Muslim, an American Muslim, and the thin line between that and wanting to join ISIS. And he says that line was broken merely by online videos. That's it. That's what did it. And he said, if, if it's that simple to take these 10 guys born in America, living in Minnesota, all of them employed, all of them have good educations, all of them articulate, you know, fine looking guys, right? It's, it's, there's nothing about being, um, you know, unemployed or poorly educated or in poverty. They all have money. They were, <laughs> he said, if, if all it takes is a video to make someone go from a Muslim to wanting to join ISIS, they were in big trouble. So apparently there's a ton of Somalis in Minnesota. There's about 100,000 Somalis in Minnesota. And if they were all in one place, then it would be Minnesota's third largest city. And Minnesota, according to the Department of Homeland Security, sends more fighters to ISIS and Iraq to join ISIS than any other state. What? Minnesota? So that's why I wonder if there's anyone in Minnesota now who can speak to this. Have you ever heard of any of this? Minnesota is the ISIS stronghold here in America? Huh? So this lawyer I was talking to the other day, I've been a lawyer for 25 years. He said he's never seen anything like this trial in his whole life. He said every day, he said it was, it was flooded with federal marshals. So the, the place was packed with, mar- with police everywhere. And he said every morning and afternoon, they read aloud the rules of the courtroom because the judge wanted to make sure that there wasn't a mistrial. He said the place was a zoo. There was one Somali girl in a hijab in the courtroom punching an older woman, right? Jumped on top of her, punched her on the ground, cursing a storm. Turns out that girl was girlfriend, the girlfriend of one of the guys on trial. The older woman was the mother of one of the terrorists who pleaded guilty. So you can imagine that the girlfriend was beating up the mom because her son sold out, unlike unlike her boyfriend who pleaded innocent. Then one of the terrorist's brothers was caught trying to snuggle, uh, smuggle in scissors with six-inch blades into the courtroom after he was seen taking photographs of the elevators. So he was banned from the courtroom for the duration of the case. He said it was crazy. I've never seen anything like this in my whole life. Now, again, if you're in Minnesota, 1-888-933-93. This is what's fascinating. The New York Times did cover this story. They did. So you give a little credit. They covered this one time. Well, they didn't cover the trial. What do you think they wrote about? They didn't talk about the specifics of the trial. They didn't talk about what the Somali, the the, the uh, 10 would-be terrorists said on their way to San Diego. They didn't say any of that. So what do you think they talked about? The whole article was about the anger in the Somali community 
about being targeted unfairly. And the focus was on one of the terrorists' fathers who, who owns a restaurant in a mall and how he's just trying to survive, just trying to survive by selling plates of chicken, rice, and bananas. And isn't it horrible that young kids with their futures in front of them would be targeted like this by federal law enforcement? Oh, it's and the whole article is about how uh, people in Somalia and Somalia, Minnesota think it was a setup. And and the defendants were goaded to, to praise terrorism to a longtime friend they had who was the paid informant. Here's, here's one of the Somalis in, in Minnesota. People think this trial was dishonest and was done in a hurry, that this is a conspiracy. So there you go. There's your New York Times article about this. Here's something you probably never heard of before. I never heard of it before until the other day. Now, the New York Times did cover it, but it was this, oh, isn't it a shame? <laughs> what? How could this not be the courtroom case of the year? This should have been the OJ trial of today, right? The news should have followed this every day. There should be updates, insights. Ten Americans plotting to go fight for ISIS. They all plead guilty except for three. Here's the, the, the proof of what they were trying to do. They were caught red-handed. And also, isn't it great that we have a, a, a trial system, a justice system? Their rights were protected as citizens. This justice system worked perfectly. And now they're in jail. How's that not a story? Because everyone decided not to care. That's why. People have decided not to care. I was um, oh, I was listening to Trump's speech the other day as it was going on. And I was reading some tweets coming in. And there was a writer from, not Vox, but... Something like that. GQ. I don't know. Some left-wing thing. No, it wasn't Trump. I'm sorry. It was the preacher, Pastor Mark Burns, who spoke before Trump. A couple people before. And this guy wrote, unhinged preacher screaming at the camera or something like that. And I said, you only wrote that because you decided, you already decided not to listen to what he had to say. And the guy wrote back and he said, no, I'm watching. Obviously, I'm watching. That's why I tweeted about it. And I said, yeah, you may be watching, but you're not listening. You already decided not to listen. Similarly, a lot of people have already decided not to care about different things. And obviously, a narrative set by the media and this story counter to said narrative. They're called the Minnesota men. There's a lot more of them out there. Not just these 10. 1-888-900-3393. Mike Slater, show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network. Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater Crusaders. Uh, Mark says Michelle Bachman has talked about Somalis in Minnesota. Um, and it's awesome. I, obviously, she would. I wonder if it's uh, she talked about the 
the Minnesota men in particular. I don't know if she's ever done that. Uh, the 10 who were trying to get to Syria. And again, if we just know of these 10, I mean, how many more have been successful? I mean, they, they said they know people who have been successful as well. How could this not be a story? How can no one talk about that? I mean, if nothing else, it's just amazing courtroom drama. That's <laughs> just a, just a interesting story to follow. I mean, forget about the national security implications. But I wonder if I'd love. Actually, Mark also said that there's this guy Eric Stackelbeck who wrote about Little Mogadishu in Minnesota. I wonder what it's like there. I wonder what the assimilation's like. I don't know. I'm going to look more into it, though. Let me share one story here quick about Islam and and cultures. This is a story about cultural narcissism. After Orlando, which went from being an Islamic terrorist attack to a gay hate crime, the U.S. Embassy in the Ivory Coast in Africa had a condolence book outside their front door and people walking by could sign it. And people did and the embassy took a picture of six men who were signing the book. And the embassy put that picture on their website with the caption LGBTI community. I don't know what the I is. What the heck is the I? That's new. LGBTI community. Intersex? Could that be intersex? Oh, jeez. LGBTI community signing the condolence book. And that picture was uh, shown all across the country. The men in that picture said they were attacked by an angry mob, almost beat to death. Four of the six men had to flee their homes because their family didn't know that they were gay and they're disowning them. Okay, that's an amazing story because we in America were so self-centered We think we can post a picture of gay men in the Ivory Coast, publish it all over the Ivory Coast, and no one, even in the embassy, has any consideration that that's a near-death sentence for these men. It's amazing. We think that our culture, our values, at least the progressive values, are the same as the values in every other country in the world. They're not. Now, I would argue, just as we can't import, or excuse me, just because we can't export our culture into the Ivory Coast, which obviously we can't, right? We can't go to the Ivory Coast and be like, oh, look at these gay people signing this book. They got beat up and disowned. Okay, you can't, it's not the same. You can't have a gay pride parade in the Ivory Coast. So just like we can't export our culture to the Ivory Coast, Can we import the Ivory Coast culture to America? Right, let's be let's be more specific because culture is a big word. Clearly, we can't export our vision of gay rights to the Ivory Coast. So, what may, what makes anyone think that we can import their culture around gay rights, no gay rights here? You can't. And that's what Donald Trump was saying in his speech the other day. That's why he said, I will be the champion of LGBTQ Americans and protecting them from 
Islamic extremists who want to cut off their heads. And not even extremists, just Muslim people who want to cut off their head, which is the law in many cultures around the world, many countries around the law. Not just a random thing that happens, but it's the law. Now, I'm not saying everyone in the Ivory Coast feels the same as this angry mob. I don't know. I'm more reacting to the argument that someone is racist who says, whoa, whoa, let's let's try to get a handle on who we're letting into America exactly. Let's, let's just make sure that these cultures can assimilate to ours. Whoa, racist, xenophobe. No. If you're a gay person, do you want anyone? Do you want, oh, let's, I don't know who was in that angry mob in the Ivory Coast. Let's say there were 10 people. Do you want any of those 10 people to come to America? Do you want any of those 10 people to be resettled in in, in Minnesota, do you want any of those 10 people to be resettled in, in uh, San Francisco or wherever? Really, you do? You're cool with that? Oh, Slater, yeah. Maybe one day they'll become as enlightened as us if they just moved here. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Meanwhile, in America, the gay pride parade was in San Francisco a couple weeks back. A couple weeks back, all the people in it complained that it's too corporate. So gay people in America are too accepted. They're complaining because they're too accepted. They said it was like one big giant Miller Lite tent. Too many companies involved. Too normalized. Too 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 many straight people were in the gay pride parade here in America. <laughs> Amazing. one 93 I want to talk about something Trump said the other day about our cities. Do that next. Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Later. Let's go to Sean, who is uh, in Minnesota. What's going on, Sean? Hey, Mike. How are you doing? Good, brother. Love, so, uh, go love the storytelling you got going. You got to keep that up. That's the way to get through to people and kind of keep uh, keep stuff in the foresight, man, just with some basic storytelling because we're a society that only only hears 140 characters nowadays. <laughs> That's right, man. I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, well, tell, so, tell us a story about Minnesota. All right, so I grew up in Minneapolis, first 25 years of my life. Pretty cool uh, pretty cool city to grow up in and stuff like that. Um, didn't have much of a culture issue, you know, where people disagreed with each other's culture back growing up. Lately, obviously, the last 20 years, some a lot to do with the Department of Education, um, has changed it to where we can all have our own cultures now, which, which changes the relevance of our basic beliefs. So when we don't, when we don't believe in one thing, we're not going to get along. We're going to have diversity that disagrees with each other and how are we going to how do we have that same common goal of an american anymore so now i live the last 10 or 11 years i'm sorry i'm working i'm on like a 17 hour day today so, <laughs> yeah, you're doing great <laughs> single dad gotta do it you know <laughs> <laughs> but, but um so so now i live uh, i live northern minnesota in a town uh a town called uh, long prairie there is literally a billboard down in texas off 35w that advertises for this town to have people come up here and work. Now, they used to come from Mexico, Hispanics from Mexico, 
this company used to hire in Hispanics all the time, they would be probably 80% of the, the working population at this company of about 300 people were Hispanics. Uh, us, us white guys didn't want to hold our hands up above our heads anymore. And I've, I've never worked. I've done some co- uh, contracting for them. But we have become lazy as a workforce to do these jobs. So, these, you know, we do, we do need anybody that will do this type of work. I've got to give them all the credit for doing work that, we won't, that, that a lot of white people won't do anymore because now we're priv- privileged and this and that. Um, now it's gone to where Hispanics don't want to do the work anymore, so they've hired in a bunch of Somalis, and they brought Somalis out of Minneapolis up into this town. Really? Um, in order to work. And then, so now it's about 50%, 50% Somalis, 30% Hispanics, 20% white. Whites are management. Um, and it's, it's just this weird thing that they got going, and it's basically all for money, money and greed. You know, I mean, you the cheaper workforce, obviously the higher profit for the company. Sure. Um, what you got to do so that everybody has jobs. I mean, the company's got to survive to have a job. I totally understand capitalism. Um, I, you know, I have employees so myself. Are you still, you're still at this company? So you're working amongst Somali Americans? No, I, nope. I don't work for this company. I've, I've contracted work for the company in the past. So you, I've gone in and, and sure, I've worked so you, you, at you, the company as a contractor. Yeah. So what's it like? What's the, I don't want to call it tension. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what, what's the atmosphere like with so many Somali oh, Americans there? It's, 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 it's mean mugging back and forth between, between the colors, literally. Um, now the Somalis and Hispanics don't get along. Um, whites, we've been, we've been able to put up with more or less, and we, we deal with it only because we know that's how, how to survive. You've got to you try to help people get along. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but literally, you go up in there, and there are literally people mean mugging back and forth. Um, there's knife violence all the time. Um, it's, it's just odd. You know, I, it, I don't know, uh, I don't know what it takes to kind of, kind of get people to come back together. I mean, I hate to say it. My latest theory is we're just going to have to divide the country, hopefully before revolution so that we can, we can get along and people can see the difference between liberalism and conservatives, conservatism. Um, I hope we don't have to do that, but what's the answer, man? Yeah. You've seen the divide. No, Sean, man, <laughs> great dude. Great insight, brother. And I appreciate you calling and, and, um, uh, being a single dad working so hard, man. Thank you for the call, brother. Let's, let's chat about this. It's really really interesting like who would have thunk long prairie minnesota has racial animosity and <laughs> you know what I mean? like what huh long prairie minnesota shared principles man amen it's what we need it's not hard to find they're really not i, I loved pastor mark burns we don't have time to play the whole thing, but it's like five minutes ago. Uh, you can Google it, find the YouTube of Pastor Mark Burns speaking on the final day of the convention. He was awesome. He's a big old preacher guy. And he's saying, I won't do it. I won't try to reenact. <laughs> uh, he said, the left only focuses on the colors that divide us instead of on the colors that unite us. Red, white, and blue. They only focus on the colors that divide us. I read the most fascinating argument the other day from Pamela Constable. It was entitled, I Rejected My Parents' Wasp Values. White is, uh, wasp is white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Right? I rejected my parents' wasp values. Now I see we need them more than ever. So long story short, she grew up in Connecticut, conservative parents. Then she went to Brown. Okay, Brown, 
I went on a recruiting trip to Brown. Brown is cuckoo, 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 like whippy weird place. Ivy League school. So she went to Brown. She got all wrapped up in it. She got wrapped up in uh, you know Vietnam and Nixon and went to go work in a big city newspaper. And then she traveled to war-torn countries. Went to Haiti and uh, India and Afghanistan. And throughout that time, she grew distant from her parents. And she grew a lot of resentment. She saw them as backwards. Rubes, hicks, conservatives. And then one day, not long ago, she decided to try and reconnect with her parents. They were in their 80s at this point. Let me, uh, let me quote from her. Where is this? Just pulled it up. Do, do, do. All right, here it is. But now, for the first time, I saw something deeper and sadder beneath their practiced cheer. Long before their success, they both suffered growing up during the Great Depression and the war, as they always called it. My mother's family lost their savings in the crash. Her parents divorced, and she was forced to leave an elite private school to become a dressmaker. My father went straight from college into the army with a captain's commission and spent his service jumping out of planes as a paratrooper instructor, a repeated feat of courage I rarely heard him mention. He loved to make things with his hands and dreamed of becoming an architect. But after the war, he was steered into the more secure world of corporate America, which paid for nice houses and good schools, but gradually crushed his spirit. Eventually, I saw how loss and sacrifice had shaped both my parents, creating lifelong habits of thrift, loyalty, perseverance, and empathy for those who suffered. So this is super interesting. I'll take a time out. So this girl grows up thinking of her parents as just these, you know, waspy, privileged people, conservative people. But she didn't know their background. She didn't know why they were so thrifty. She didn't see the loyalty. She didn't see the empathy that her parents had. She thought she knew her parents, but she didn't. She thought she hated their wasp conservative values, but she had no idea the struggle that shaped them. In my mother's antique desk, I found a folder labeled Important Correspondence. Inside it, along with invitations to long-ago society balls, were half a dozen letters on lined school paper written in a careful but shaky hand. They were from an old black man named Mr. Jenkins, who had once helped her with the laundry. He was a lonely soul who drank too much and wound up in a VA hospital. The letters thanked her for being kind and for treating him with dignity. At the end of his life, my mother was this man's only friend, and his gratitude meant as much to her as an engraved plaque. All right, that was the buildup. This is the key paragraph I love. This is why I brought it up. This is why uh, what Sean reminded me of. So she grew up with this resentment of her childhood and of the values that she was raised with, right? That hence the rebellion of going to Brown and, you know, writing for the big city paper and being a progressive and a liberal and all that stuff. She says, after witnessing the desperation and cruelty of life in much of the world, then I began to re-examine, re-examine my prejudices against the cloister I had fled, the town I fled. In some countries, I saw how powerful forces could keep people trapped in poverty for life. 
In other countries, how neighbors could slaughter each other in spasms of hate. I met child brides and torture victims, religious fanatics and armed rebels. I explored societies shattered by civil war, upended by revolution, and strangled by taboo and tradition. Visiting home between assignments, I found myself noticing and appreciating things I had always taken for granted. The tamed greenery and smooth streets. The absence of fear and abundance of choice. The code of good manners and civilized discussion. I also began to learn things about my parents I had never known. And I realized that I had judged them unfairly. Took her a while, but she realized that the classic conservative values that we live our lives by, that we celebrate, that we want to return to, she realized that's the answer. Or at, at least it's the true core and conscience of our country. We're not all going to be the same. I don't want everyone to be the same. What fun is that? I couldn't stand Brown. I was there for a week and I couldn't stand it, but it's fine that those people exist. But once we lose the core and conscience of who we are and what is right and true, then it's, we got nothing. Once you lose true North, you're wandering, you're lost. And I feel like that's what we're missing. So The Daily Show, by the way, life fact, if you ever have the opportunity to be a guest on The Daily Show, run as far away as possible. It's, it's all manipulative and they edit around to make you look stupid and they'll take shots of you before the interview even starts, like looking around and they'll insert that after one of their questions they ask. It's, it's a total scam. So anyway, they went to the Republican convention. They asked people, when was America great? And it was, it was a trick. So people would be like, America was great uh, in 1776. Oh, when there was slavery? America was great in 1950, after the war. Oh, when women couldn't vote? It's like, oh, shut up. Like, 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 no, idiots. So it just makes me angry, the deceit that they were trying to do with that. When America was great is when a greater percentage of people understood and did their darndest to live by the true conservative core and conscience of our country. Like this woman's parents. Can we live a perfect life? No, 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 of course not. Right? There's brokenness. It's difficult. They're suffering. Just like their parents went through. Right? The reason that they were loyal and persevered and, and cheap was because they went through the, the, the depression. They went through the war. Right? They get it. So it's not easy, but it's true. And when we lose that, first of all, we get distracted by stupid stuff. But we also don't know where we're going anymore. We're meandering. And I don't, I don't even know what's worse. Going in the wrong direction you know, with a quick pace or just meandering around completely lost. We're one of those two. I don't know. You decide which. But we're certainly not purposely going in the right direction. I, don't know, I hope that kind of answered some questions, Sean. Got to get back to those shared principles. 
got to get back to the core of our country. one 888 Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater is on. I got 90 seconds. Can I read something from the great Mike Rowe regarding the Melania controversy and stealing the speech, blah, 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 blah. He says, quote, regarding the charges of plagiarism, I really don't know. All I know for sure is that Mrs. Trump is absolutely positively guilty of standing before the country and reading words she did not write as if they were her own. I also know that Mrs. Obama is guilty of doing the same thing. Both women, along with their husbands, have stood proudly before a national audience and pretended the words they read originated with them, knowing full well they did not. Let's consider for a moment the weird reality of speechwriters in our political discourse. Why do we tolerate them? Why do we permit our leaders to pretend that someone else's words are theirs? Moreover, why do we allow them to stand before us and act as if they're not reading from a script when we know darn well they are? Why, in this age of authenticity, do we accept the artifice of a teleprompter and all the other pretenses of earnestness that enable candidates to present themselves as something other than who they really are? I always thought the obvious answer was because we're lazy and shallow species who value style over substance. But now it seems I was mistaken. Today, half the country has risen up in righteous indignation because the words of an anonymous speechwriter, words once read by Mrs. Obama as if they were her own, have been co-opted by another anonymous speechwriter and given to another aspiring first lady who also read those same words as if they belonged to her. The one speaker who did not speak from a teleprompter was Tom Barrick, the guy who spoke right before Ivanka Trump. And let's not pretend that you know, the some words were taken from Michelle Obama's speech and put in Melania's speech. Let's not write that. Let's not pretend that Michelle Obama is like Winston Churchill here writing her own speech. <laughs> you know what I mean? And none of these candidates really are. And, and we should expect more out of them. No. Slater Radio on Twitter. Please like us on Facebook and we can hang out all week long. Gosh, we got the Democratic Convention. I was in Cleveland. I'm sure glad I'm not in Philadelphia, but we'll be sure to watch it from afar. So follow us on Facebook. We can hang out. And we'll see you next Saturday. Mike Slater Show. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.